for I do not want some some Connemara stripper. I want quality Dublin stripper. If we're going to be getting a stripper. <laughs> Stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's divisional weekend, and then there were four top class football. Yeah, I think this is top class football. So, hey, we got Connor here, we've got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any crackdown in Cork? Uh, not much. We we met up to, to watch some various sports on Sunday. Our friend Marcus, who's a big Bills fan, we had to console him as his team literally disintegrated before our very eyes. Yes, that, that's not a great game to be watching with a Bills fan. That sense of slowly impending doom as, as the three hours progressed, it's a bit sad. So as you have to get there, like, I, I remember every Chiefs playoff performance back in the day, has been like, no, we're not safe. And most of the time we weren't. 28 points wasn't safe against the Colts. And, yeah. Well, that's the thing. you got you got to earn it. you know. You got to suffer before you, you get the good stuff. Like, uh, I'm sure Bills fans would contend that they <laughs> suffered in the 90s there a bit. I fear this team will have to suffer a bit more before they see success. How was the other sports ball? Yeah, we watched Arsenal-Man United, which was an excellent game of football. And Arsenal keep winning, which is rather alarming. It's a very, it's a very strange Premier League season because all the good teams are bad and all the traditionally bad teams are good. So. It's not proper weird. Like, you know, when Leicester won the league, like, that was proper. Like, Arsenal are surprising, but not, like, uh, true, you know, how the hell did this happen type of thing. Newcastle are quite far up there, aren't they? Saudi money is is getting it done. Fair enough. What about yourself? It's any crack? Yeah, well, like, I was obviously uh, partaking in the sports on Sunday as well, but uh, outside that, nothing particularly exciting going on. Obviously, didn't want to go too hard, uh, given the uh, shenanigans that are probably ahead this weekend. Yes, we will be heading off to Sean Stag do this weekend, which should prove good, good, clean fun with no messing about. One hundred percent. Never a good sign when you're being when the stag is being removed from the group chat. I have, I've, I've got a fear <laughs> for what's going to happen. Now. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's not even about what we'll do to you. It's the fear. The fears will get you. <laughs> what in my mind is always worse than what you could possibly do. Yeah. I, I I believe so at least anyway. <laughs> Unless some of the boys are get very inventive. But no, it should be should be good fun. So we'll all be hanging out in the weekend. A couple of other people who've been on the pod will be down there as well. Uh, should be should be good crack out in the west of Ireland. Not your traditional stag. We're not going to be up in the early nightclubs and stuff. But no, should be should be good crack. Yeah, I completed probably. a completed a booze run up the north on the weekend. So we have lots of nice non minimal unit alcohol priced alcohol. <laughs> I don't think there are any nightclubs left anyway in Galway, so... I did hear that, that they've lost... Is it all of them are gone, or they were down to one or something when I saw it last? Yeah, I suppose uh, we should swing on in and have a look at some of the moves around the league. Coaching carousel keeps turn, turn, turning. Tennessee have hired San Francisco Director of Player Personnel. Ran Carthen as GM, as a scout in Atlanta after a brief playing career. This, to me, seems like a good idea. Obviously, Tennessee had the kind of somewhat surprising push out of the GM mid-season we'd say after some questionable decisions given you know trading away their top end wide receiver to you know use the pick they get to draft another wide receiver who might even be as good as that receiver they got rid of Sam Fran have a very good track record of drafting and preparing players well they've got a lot of kind of you'd say homegrown talent even though you know they're imported post-college this to me would strike me as like a, a fairly safe bet provided that you know Carthen has had he's like he's been in all those rooms and he knows what he's talking about this would seem like a good pickup to me I think there's been mostly positive views on him I think people see him as a guy who has worked his way up from the bottom up he was a scout in Atlanta he got an executive role in the Rams and that front office is now considered to be 
quite successful. Maybe not quite the time when he's working for them. And then San Francisco has generally considered to be quite successful, obviously going to multiple NFC championships, going to a Super Bowl and stuff like that. And, you know, outside the bad luck with injuries, which you could argue how much effect they have, it's generally considered to be a well-managed organization. I believe he was promoted from pro personnel. So he's probably a guy who's kind of considered probably to be more of an expert in maybe free agency and that kind of stuff. So he'll probably mm. have to build up his own draft uh, staff. Uh, obviously, Adam Peters, I think he's kind of considered to be the the main guys there in terms of the draft. Like, I, I heard that, and then I heard some guys saying, oh, no, Rand Carton was actually really instrumental in some of their later round picks. Look, I think Tennessee, I think it was still controversial to fire John Robinson, who had a pretty good track record, at least in terms of creating teams that kept winning. But I'm assuming this is a, a, a hire that Vrabel is in favor of and perhaps someone who's more likely to to listen more closely to what Brable wants and if that happens then I think things will generally be fine. Other coaching moves New England have decided to go back to the old well uh, they've hired Alabama offensive coordinator and former Houston head coach Bill O'Brien to be their offensive coordinator. Oh Butchin is back in the NFL he had previously worked on the New England Patriots back in like t- 2000s right? 2007, yeah, 2008? 2007 to about 2011. Then he moved over to the Texans. I, I was amazed to see like in my head he hadn't been at the Texans for that many years but he was the head coach for like six and a half seven seasons overall a relatively successful tenure the division is hot garbage but they won the division four times in his period there and then was kind of unceremoniously fired in his last season after he had kind of pulled a I, I want to say almost a Chip Kelly at this point of taking over the GM position alongside it and then completely shitting the bed on that side so he traded away DeAndre Hopkins for a fourth round pick DeAndre Hopkins who is still performing at a good level in the NFL several years later it was a very messy end and to be honest he somewhat got out of a bad situation as I remember that was when power struggles were really starting to happen in back rooms of, of Houston what do we think he was widely touted as being a good offensive mind, a bad GM, and maybe maybe not quite head coaching material. But he's obviously used to the system, has worked with Belichick beforehand. Is this something you'd be happy about, Sean? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of excitement on Pat's Twitter over this. Certainly seen as, as a step up, but it probably means the removal of Matt Patricia, which is also... A- Putting a crayon in at offensive coordinators and upgrade over Matt Patricia. (laughs) I mean, one of the big things is also he's got a link to Mac Jones. He coached Mac Jones at Alabama for a year, and apparently Jones is very excited and very happy about what's going to happen. I mean, there is this sense sometimes of of coaches going too high up, moving beyond their competence level, and then moving back down. The big thing this year, for example, has been Dan Quinn's revival as as a defensive guru now that he's with the Cowboys. Maybe you'll see something like that, Bill O'Brien. You take away the responsibilities he wasn't all that good at or he thought he could do, but actually couldn't like the start of GM stuff and even the head coaching and bring him in back to a speciality you hope it would improve things I mean the Pats offense was so bad this year that you know even bringing him to average would make this quite a good team because of what they can do on the defensive side so it's a positive move the Texans thing it, it went well for a while but yeah it did kind of fall apart on the field as well as off the field near the end there so cautiously positive it certainly is an improvement on where this season has gone offensively, but beyond that, it's very hard to tell how well it will go. He did a lot of various coaching things in the past, but I think he only did the one year as the offensive coordinator, so it's kind of sort of a new role for him within the system as well. And you also have to imagine his ego and, and slotting back in behind Belichick and how that may not be the easiest thing in the world to do either. So cautiously optimistic, I would say. Baltimore offensive coordinator Greg Roman and the team have mutually parted ways, which it's always very mutual when it's announced that way. The team has reiterated that they they want to keep Lamar Jackson. They want to 
involve him in the process of selecting a new OC. There's currently ongoing conflict in the contract negotiations with Jackson. The rumours are that the sticking point is this new generation of fully guaranteed contracts and him wanting a long-term fully guaranteed contract then being worried just given that he's had two seasons with significant injury stuff not getting younger and the running element of the game putting him more at risk this might be a little bit of Baltimore trying to win the press over as well because I think they've been leaking that they were offering to make him a very high or top of the quarterback list but you'd imagine that their offer is good money but like only a year two years guaranteed on it and so on they want to involve him maybe this is a olive branch to get him involved if, if Lamar is not traveling to matches with the team and isn't getting involved and staying hands off on stuff like you can't just let everyone else pick up an OC and you wait until the tail end because Lamar is not engaging with you that's going to be something to keep an eye on over the next few weeks like if Lamar is effectively holding out and he doesn't have an agent so he is representing himself which probably complicates things as well then that does make this harder you know Greg Roman just to speak about him just in terms of his scheme like he is a really really good schemer of the run game like they had a pretty much great run game for the mass majority of time he was there there was a few issues earlier this year but overall very solid but his past scheme has always been heavily criticized by people who analyze this type of stuff for a living and of course if you're a quarterback like and you're not a running back and obviously there's plenty of jokes about that with Lamar Jackson earlier in his career you know that becomes more and more an issue as you go on especially as we've heard plenty of reports that receivers have specifically said they don't want to go to Baltimore because they know it's a scheme where they're not going to get the kind of numbers that will get them paid more I think they're probably going to look for someone who has more skill in terms of the pass game like someone from the Andy Reid tree someone from the Shanahan tree and Jackson while I wouldn't say he's the best passer I think he's a he's a good passer like he I think his deep ball is probably his weakness and he, he did improve that earlier this season before he got hurt and so I think he can be that kind of guy obviously adding obviously he's never going to become like just a pocket passer that, like that's not how the NFL is anymore anyway it'll be interesting to see how the timings line up I think obviously this is really an olive branch to Lamar you're part of the future of this team we want to bring it together it's just a matter of whether you know the bridge is being burned if Lamar Jackson is just genuinely put out by this team and by the future what they've done to him or what he would consider they've done to him then it may just be too late and they'll have to go probably uh, tag and trade type of scenario Minnesota have also gotten rid of defensive coach Ed Donatel. Miami have gotten rid of their defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer. So two teams whose defenses didn't necessarily step up. Although I think Miami's did okay in their game. It's a strange one. Judging by Twitter, Miami Dolphins fans seem to be quite happy with this one. But I thought their defense was largely fine. So I think he ran. St- he was considered to run strange schemes and stuff. Donatel one so makes he- perfect sense. The Boyer one's harder to understand. Boyer, just to say he was a holdout from the uh, previous regime. So obviously not someone that Mike McDaniel would have had a direct link to. And obviously, given some of the completely unjustified, but the reports out there that he was on the hot seat if they hadn't made the playoffs, then he obviously now probably feels a greater sense of ownership of making sure that the defense makes sense. Boyer was known for some pretty aggressive play calling. He did a lot of blitz zero, some of that you saw in the wildcard game that they lost, but it has worked in other cases. Like it worked very well against Lamar Jackson, for example, a couple of years ago, but you know, maybe he's a visionary ahead of his time and then you kind of get it. On the other hand, Ed Donahill just looked like a Fisher-Price Vic Fangio, effectively, and his scheme just got absolutely destroyed. So, yeah, I don't think uh, Kevin O'Connell could reasonably keep him on. Moving on to crime and punishment, what are they doing? Probably felonies. San Francisco's defensive end, Charles Amenahu, has been arrested on misdemeanor domestic violence charge. Uh, reports coming out seem to indicate that he pushed his partner over during an argument. I don't have a ton of details on this one at the moment, but obviously this is something that the league has been trying to crack down more on of late. And you'd imagine that if this is proved to be correct, that he would be facing some degree of a suspension at bare minimum. 
the the police report basically says that they responded to a call and the person who was pushed over said i uh, didn't have any physical injuries but she said she had a sore arm so like it's a misdemeanor so that probably means that they're not considering this to be like you know some of the more awful stories we've heard about mm-hmm. uh, domestic violence over the last uh, few well last decades i suppose at this point but yeah if he if he gets something here uh, 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 suspension of a few times might be there and i think there's a kind of rolling system with the nfl if you get more of these in a row but i think this is the first time event for omena who the seahawks have decided to extend kicker jason myers it's a four-year 21 million dollar contract keep him in the building for a few more years he's been fairly reliable for them of late particularly in the back half of the season where the offense fell off a little bit they had to lean on him a little bit more but yeah it seems like a fair price to pay we've seen and we will be talking a little bit uh, in the dallas san francisco game about the importance maybe of having a reliable kicker this puts him just after justin tucker's second highest paid about three million less uh, in terms of overall money, which seems about fair. Tucker's kind of like going to be like what Rob Gronkowski was during his period in the NFL, where it's like no one's going to get paid more than him, so that's basically as high as it goes. So at least that's that's probably one position where NFL teams will not be facing huge inflation in the next couple of years. That seems bang on. So let's move on and have a look at some of the injuries and bits and pieces from around the league. So there's two kind of playoff-relevant ones, really. Kansas City quarterback Patrick Mahomes received an ankle injury and is considered week-to-week. He's expected to play, but may have limited mobility. This follows after getting rolled up at the kind of back end of the first quarter on a sack he got his ankle rolled up on he then had to leave the game for a series then came back in we'll discuss that in more detail on game reviews but obviously this is going to be a a very impactful injury we'll have to see how close to 100% he can be high ankle sprains are notoriously difficult to gauge they can be anything up to three or four weeks to feel proper and sometimes more if they re-aggravate hopefully playing on the Saturday and having the extra kind of half a day to a day to recover might help but this is a big red flag and we'll talk about it in the previews as well may have an impact on where the Vegas and all of those guys seem to think that this game is going to go it was the ankle two years ago as well wasn't it that allowed the Bucks to scheme them up in the, in the Super Bowl because he moved that much yeah, yeah. so I mean, this I- is this is the other ankle which might actually be more problematic because this is his plant ankle for passing I mean, it's certainly the way the season has been going for the Chiefs. They look kind of unstoppable, and Mahomes is a big part of that. And if his mobility is gone, I mean, we'll talk about during the game reviews. They did have to kind of change their scheming a little bit once post injury, which kind of limits their offensive dynamism a little bit. So it's certainly a big one, and and it's worth keeping an eye on for even if they get through the conference championship. This might still be a problem at the Super Bowl, and you know. If they come up against a good, strong defensive team like like uh, 49ers, for example, who can scheme the shit out of it, then there could be definitely problems down the road. Uh, I'll probably be dominant in the preview, but controversially, maybe this is a good incentive to run the ball a bit more. Andy? Yeah. Andy? <laughs> possibly, possibly. I will say I've there's, there's, there's some takes floating around online about how the injury happened, and I would just say, like, from my viewing of it, watching it live and also watching back the clip, like, I don't think there was anything intentional in it. I think it's just someone... I think with the new defensive tackling rules, the guys kind of want to get the hands off and they're they happy to drop. And I think that might be what happened there. I think there's people thinking that this was done intentionally because it does look on screenshots like your man intentionally removes the wrap and drops directly onto the leg. But I I, I think in the heated time, I don't think anyone's doing that. Yeah, to be fair, he was also getting hit by another player. So it's a quite dynamic. Yeah, no, no, that's the thing. It's just uh, 
just just to say like I think that might be I think the the idea of this like they came out danger might be a little bit overstating it Dallas running back Tony Pollard has a fibula fracture this will not only kind of hurt him now but it might have a possible effect in the 2023 season he's due to become a free agent this offseason although he has as we've said a couple of times on this been outperforming Zeke Elliott in that backfield and you would have thought that Dallas would want to retain his services it is interesting as well to see that Elliott does seem to be somewhat capitalizing on this as he's now been out in the media or friends of his have been out in the media saying that he wants to stay at Dallas and would be willing to take a pay cut and he just wants to stay there and yeah they might be forced into having to take something like that or this is presumably going to have a potential issue for whether or not Dallas want to keep on Pollard yeah like this is terrible timing for Pollard best case scenario for a fibula fracture if it's like just clean bone skin type of situation you're talking about three months so that means that you're basically into draft season and stuff like that and free agency has already happened. And this is a off season where there's a huge number of free agent running backs. Obviously someone will get picked up, but a lot of them, like there's just too many of them. Some of them are going to get out into free agency. There's a fairly deep running back class in the draft, like some guys like Jameer Gribbs and B. John Robinson at the top, but very deep throughout the rest. So, you know, you didn't have much leverage to begin with and now you get this injury and uncertainty about how much you'll be able to do um in 2023 so best case scenario you're healthy around the time the draft is or has just ended you're obviously gonna get a lot less money at that point so not good for him like i think at this point he i like if i was to guess i would say most likely scenario like they do the zeke redeal and they give pollard like a prove it deal maybe like a two-year yeah. we'll do you solid by giving you security money but we're going to keep your rights for another extra year type of situation and then that's gonna to be tough for pollard because obviously guaranteed money after an injury like this would be probably hard to give up so really bad situation for Paul. Pollard and does probably increase the chance Dallas uh, go in a different direction whether that be uh, doing something with Zeke or just pulling from the pretty deep uh, amount of running backs available and I'd say like given what we saw this year outside of maybe a couple of weeks early on this I don't think Zeke can really be considered a long-term option for them at the moment so they will have to be sorting something out behind him and hopefully Tony Pollard is able to, to to do something for himself following a very unfortunate injury two other just bits of random news that we think we'll just cover off here is the 2023 International Series details have been announced or at least some of the details have been announced so the London games the home teams are going to be the Buffalo Bills the Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars and for Germany the home teams are going to be because it's now going to be two games in Germany following the the Campia Mexico game this year because of pitch work for the upcoming yeah, they're, they're doing the stadium yeah. Germany are going to have two games and the home teams for that are going to be New England and Kansas City so it's, it's a nice selection of teams there like four out of those five I wouldn't mind seeing yeah I mean it, obviously it's dependent on who their opponents are I mean the you know the NFL is notorious for not putting marquee games in in in, in the international hmm. series, so I won't expect any of these games to be you know divisional. Don't expect the Bills, the Pats, or the the Chiefs, or even the Jags to be getting good divisional games or good rivalry games or anything like that. But nonetheless, I mean these are great teams to watch, and someone like Kansas City with Mahomes and stuff and that offense, no matter who they're playing, that they're they're a joy to watch. So certainly an improvement in that sense. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold out for for you know a Bengals Chiefs you know game in Munich anytime soon yeah it'll be interesting because like if we look at the possible pairings for like so for the Chiefs just because I've obviously been watching it it's a home game they're giving up so it's not going to be any of the divisional rivals the Buffalo Bills are already playing in London so it's not going to be them so then you've got Bengals which would be huge so probably not that so you got like Dolphins Bears Lions and you're probably not getting the Eagles because again that'll be a huge game so like Dolphins Bears Lions I 
wouldn't lions, lions. I would love to see the Lions. That's like that's lions. the one that that's the one that I really hope. But to be honest, like I wouldn't say no to seeing the Dolphins. I wouldn't say no to seeing the Bears. Like I think yeah. I think like, those those are good options. To be honest, anything else that's on there, like Bengals or Eagles, yes, strap in, please. The home games for New England are obviously not going to be the Bills, the Colts, the Commanders, the Chargers. Well, the Chiefs are playing Germany, so probably not them, unless we back to back it. The mm-hmm. Dolphins won't be them. Eagles again, not the Saints or Jets. So probably it'll it'll be the commanders. It's, yeah, it's, it'll almost yeah. certainly be the commanders or the Colts. The Colts maybe like Colts or commanders know. maybe yeah. Because they can sell as like remember when this was a rivalry. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, not quite as exciting as that slate for the Chiefs. We will move on and have a look at the games from last week. So divisional round games. It's kick off in the order in which they happened. Saturday early, Jacksonville at Kansas City, twenty to twenty-seven. Two late turnovers kind of cap Lawrence's day. He had two hundred thirty-three yards, a touchdown, and interception. It was a pretty tough day for him. Some inaccuracy issues, some wide receiver problems with one or two drops, a late fumble. He was kind of getting quite harassed, particularly in the second half, by the defense of the Kansas City Chiefs. So that was making his life a little bit hard. But Holmes had one hundred ninety-five yards and two touchdowns and looked off the charts good for the first quarter until he got rolled up on in a, in a tackle where he was sacked by two players his ankle got twisted outside and he had to come out for a series they dropped in you know at this point almost the uh, the traditional Chad Hetty division around just appearance he pops in runs a was it a 98 yard drive now to be fair a 98 yard drive where more than half of that came from Pacheco so it was uh, it was not exactly Hetty doing it all but um, no it was good Kelsey was kind of the focus in this game had 14 catches for 95 yards and two touchdowns uh, the run game looked pretty good Pacheco had 95 yards yeah like it was it was a good balanced performance from the Chiefs dealing with you know the the, the limitations that happened to Patrick Mahomes early on I was kind of screaming at the TV for them to like just put Henny back in particularly at the tail end whenever the game was kind of dusted off well you know it's a one score game at the end it didn't really feel that close during the game like from the touchdown to the, the touchdown to the third was it onwards like they kind of just held them at the at the two score now there was a couple of mistakes there that maybe kept Jacksonville away from it but they it didn't feel like there was the same energy or threat coming from the Jags in this game as there was in the in the second half against the Chargers they weren't getting the kind of matchup looks that they were looking for and Lawrence was getting a little bit more harassed but it was a good performance from Jacksonville they're going to go into the offseason feeling very good about themselves this is further than they expected to get and they're really building quite a unit there for Kansas City it's a good win to have but they've got to be concerned about Pat Mahomes going into the next round. The, the problem is, and you, the, the, the positives, as you said earlier, Fitz, is the run game looked good if only Andy Reid could dedicate to actually doing it because this is a line that's built for a good run game and the defense stepped up in, in a big spot. Talk a bit more about the Chiefs defense in the preview, but Chris Jones still sitting on that big fat donut of 14 playoff games and not a single sack. I guess you could say just a kind of clear talent differential. The, obviously, the Chiefs were the better team, and I think that ultimately showed. I think there there were two different games kind of happened here. The pre-Mahomes injury was Casey just being absolutely, you know, much better on both sides of the ball. They they looked very comfortable, and then things kind of changed a bit after the injury. They they well, firstly they went with the Henny thing, who you know he's not he's not bad as backups go, but the offense had to go much more conservative, much more simplified, and then when Mahomes back, they kind of continue that trend, kind of short quicker passes were leaning on Kelsey to kind of grind it out and then they kind of needed their defense on the other side to kind of step up the pressure in the second half and and execute so post-injury it kind of felt a little bit more 
uh, even. I felt the Jags were in the game a little bit more, albeit they were always kind of 10 points behind for most of the game and then they just couldn't they couldn't catch up and they they couldn't execute the big plays you know you look at think about the long bomb to christian kirk which would have definitely changed the momentum of the game i mean kirk had overall had a very sloppy game he was dropping he was slipping he's getting paid too way too much to be making those kinds of mistakes in in a divisional game i mean ultimately it was an execution thing from the jack's perspective they had a game plan and it worked to the extent that it worked but ultimately they didn't execute when it, when it was necessary you think also about jamal agnew's big fumble and at another crucial potential crucial turning point in the game which looked to me just like an unforced error that he just dropped it making the turn so i mean for the jags i mean you just gotta you know tip their cap to them it's been a great season given where they were last year and that's that's the start of you know something new they're building something really good they may be the new force in the afc south things are looking uh, up in terms of the the chiefs they're about as good as we expected albeit if mahomes's injury is, is now the x factor here because not only does it l- limit his ability to, to do what he wants to do but I, it feels like the offense tries to ad- adapt in terms of that like try to open up the run game play more conservatively and I don't think that plays into into the Chiefs strengths so they maybe if they have a, a, a week to scheme it they might they might come up with new more dynamic ways for to do it but they play that conservatively again going on they, they take away an awful lot of what makes the Chiefs great and I'd be worried about them going all the way but obviously it's, it's Mahomes dependent if he's back to something like 100% that she's going to be very hard to stop if he's not you got to start looking elsewhere for who's going to end up being a champion overall. I wouldn't actually agree that it's not a strength. Like, I, I know it's counterintuitive, but, like, the Kansas City Chiefs have put together one together one of the best run-blocking offensive lines in the league. Like, Orlando Brown, as a, as a pass blocker, he's solid, but as a run blocker, he's phenomenal. Like, he's an absolute beast. Like, this is a situation where I think this team, if they wanted to, and that's a big question, if they wanted <laughs> to, they could actually run the ball really well, but... Like, Andy Reid hates running the ball, so it's not going to happen. Certainly not in a kind of, you know, just dive uh, outside zone type situation anyway. So, like, I think, like, if they have to go to a more run game orientated approach going forward, I don't think that would be a problem. And I think you saw that. Like, they literally went for a 98-yard ground and pound, drain the clock type thing, which gave enough time for Mahomes to get healthy in inverted commas. And you're kind of going, like, where's this Chiefs been? And you're like, well... I get it. You have Patrick Mahomes. Like, there's no need to have this. But like, if this is what you have in your back pocket, then I wouldn't count the Chiefs out completely. It just means the type of games that they're going to play are likely to be considerably different. And obviously, it will put additional pressure on the defense, and it'll put additional pressure on Pacheco to kind of continue to to grind this out. The, the elements are there for they could win that way. And uh, you know, like, I, obviously, I think it's going to be a huge loss if Patrick Mahomes like loses his mobility and he can't run at all. Like, he was hobbling in this game. He barely was able to do the stretch run game but assuming that he's somewhat healthy and they get all the right injections into that ankle for the next couple of next two games then I don't see any reason why they can't still be a dangerous game just very different and the defense played pretty well like the defensive line yes the they only got two sacks but they were consistently getting pressure on Trevor Lawrence the interception that came late was off of pressure from the defensive line and then yeah. Jalen Watson made a great one-handed catch like fair juice to him that was a great play uh, OBJ style so like you know any even you know Frank Clark it's the playoffs he's back he, he's ready to play football again Chris Frank, Jones Fra- Frank Clark is now up to fourth in all-time postseason sack record he'll move into third place if he gets one this weekend 
Yeah, and like, look, like, obviously, Chris Jones would love to get him like that playoff sack, but like, he is getting pressure and they're moving him around the uh, defensive line to create matchup problems and kind of creating, you know, headaches for the offensive line uh, on on the other side. So, look, I think this is a situation where, yes, if you were playing, like, if this had happened during a game against the Bills or the Bengals, maybe they would be able to take full advantage of it. But, you know, similar to last time where they were playing the Browns, like a more flawed team um, who were kind of maybe a little lucky to be here, you know, they, they had, they, they showed that. You know they're a step above the pretenders that the Jaguars are. And I think the big thing I took away from this is like the Jaguars are a very. I don't think they're. I don't know if they're a less talented team, but they're just a much more raw team because especially after having to basically completely reprogram Trevor Lawrence from the ground up after the Urban Meyer disaster and just rebuilding his confidence. And I think like the big thing you kind of saw in the first three quarters of this game is that you know they had a pretty conservative game plan. And I like that makes sense. Like obviously he threw an interception later on, so you could say well maybe it was the right decision. And obviously that's what really got him back into rhythm after having such a poor first half last week you know just the quick balls with the trips formations and just like easy decisions for him and like obviously he has so much room to grow and he has so much proficient talent you know when the chips were down here and they're playing Chad Henney and you know you thought like the game is in your hands I kind of thought the second half you know the, the the Jags were a little bit chalk uh for the first like for the for third quarter and didn't really I feel took full advantage of what they had there uh, and I think that's also true in the defense like Mahomes is obviously you know really really good but I think they could have been a little bit more aggressive in defense either like try and get that you know those hits that that would make more of an impact you know even when Mahomes was hurt you know in the second half he got the really vital touchdown off a jump ball which I probably wouldn't advise when you have a bum ankle but it's, it's Patrick Mahomes he, he that's just like he's a warrior he just wants to keep playing he's going to do everything he can to be at peak whatever peak performance can be at this and obviously if they make it through the next game which will be tough then he'll have two weeks to heal up after that so look I think the Chiefs were just a better team, I would say that, but more in the sense that this is a mature team that has an identity that's just like winning. Like they are effective. They have usurped the throne of what the, the New England Patriots were when they had Tom Brady. That's what the Chiefs have become effectively. And unless you bring your A game, unless you have maturity and you have, you know, you're bringing like some serious firepower, you need to get done. And the Jags, yeah, just in those moments with the Kirk drop and with the poor fumble and even just the interception for Lawrence, you just, and just the kind of the relatively safe play calling on both ends of the ball at key moments you just kind of saw a team that so much room to grow but maybe not quite there yet yes let's move on to the next game new york giants at philadelphia oh this one was a bit of a i'll put it this way i was very happy i didn't stay up to watch this one live seven to 38 philadelphia just dominate this game they were 28 to nothing up in the first half hurts like he didn't have a ton of passing yardage 184 but he had three touchdowns he looked back to proper mid-season form any questions we had going into it like i raised the question last week is he going to be back to 100%? What's he going to look like post the injury? No, this was done. They had rushed Dobbins 234 yards and two touchdowns. The New York Giants defense just did absolutely nothing. They had no turnovers. I think they had one sack. Uh, the Philly defense showing again that its rotational pieces really help. So they have an interception, two turnovers and downs, five sacks, four tackles for a loss kept them to about 250 yards now look you're always going to have slightly inflated defensive statistics when you're this far ahead and you know there's no way they're going to the run game and that does harm the Giants in particular given that this is a team that ran through Saquon Barkley and if you're down by four scores you can't just rely on the run Barkley kept relatively quiet he only had about 82 yards it was a return to more almost what we kind of thought the Giants would look like pre-season but the thing is 
they weren't as bad as we thought they looked preseason. They were just up against a Philadelphia team that is just in perfect form coming into this. We'll talk about it in the previews, but this is a Philly team that I think is going to be really hard to slow down. Whereas this is a Giants team that's not massively dissimilar to the Jags in that they overperformed. They were a nice surprise to make it in there. They have some serious questions to be asked about how they're going to constitute their team going into next year because they use this as an evaluation year and I don't think they were expecting to see this much of it that might be worth keeping so like they didn't pick up the fifth year option for Danny Dimes Saquon Barkley is out of contract after this year they've been saying publicly they're going to a lot of hints publicly that they want to keep Daniel Dimes in place Saquon they've been less clear on but I think overall like Giants fans will be happy with the thing that that they're going to want to very quickly forget this game in particular because you don't want to lose like this and you don't want to lose like this to a divisional rival for Philadelphia the offense looked like it was on fire the defense looked like it was on fire I'd like to see what they would be doing against a team that won't fall down 28 points against them very early but this is the perfect kind of limbering up for going into the big fight next week so I think this is a nice setup for Philly. Philly were just better and they've been better against the Giants both times they met obviously Brian Dable has done a great job of maximizing the talents that he has but this Philly team is a juggernaut from end to end they have quality and talent at pretty much every position okay like Hertz didn't have to do much here but what he did do looked really impressive he had a 40 yard bomb to Devonta Smith early on in this game and that just kind of set the tone here because once they the, the Giants knew that Jalen Hurts could pass they had to respect that and then the run game just absolutely destroyed them and the run defense has probably been the worst part of the Giants defense this year anyway and so Kenneth Gainwell goes over 100 Miles Sanders is nearly 100 Jalen Hurts adds in nearly 30 Boston Scott's giving his apparently traditional Giants touchdown as well uh, when, when the game was basically won you know it was just looked too easy for them so yeah like as we'll talk about later on and, and potentially in future weeks like yes there will be bigger challenges ahead but this looked like the Philly team that was dominating teams in the middle of the season before Hurts picked up an injury so you know he only has to play two more games at most so uh, I'm sure with the kind of rest he can give him that he could he'll be able to do that and it's just with the weapons that they have they're just so hard to beat and you just saw a team that just looked completely overmatched like you know the Giants offense has been interesting this year they've really had to I think still work around Daniel Dimes he doesn't have the confidence to throw it downfield it's very much a first read and then rush uh, type offense it's been noticed by a lot of people and I think the Philly defense was very much briefed on that unlike the Vikings defense who I assume just don't get briefed on anything except for how to lose it was a situation where the Philly defense knew what they had to do it's basically just like if you can get his first read away you're going to create panic in Daniel Dimes and you know he threw like what was too hard an impressive pick by Bradbury who obviously is somewhat of a revenge game for him you know he just didn't seem to have like a third or fourth feather and so I think that'll complicate things uh, in the in this offseason for the Giants or or what Dable sees in terms of his ceiling because what you saw this season was yes a really dynamic player but for me he's just a rich man's like Marcus Mariota he's not a guy who's seeing the field fully right now he's not a guy who if I was understands... a rich man why would I buy Marcus Mariota <laughs> I think he's better than Marcus Mariota right now but he's that same kind of guy like first read fine but if you get him past his first read and you shut down the scramble game, then he's not that much of a threat to you. And especially when Saquon Barkley is removed both by the score and just by thing. Like they ended up basically going to Barkley on their one touchdown drive in the second half. But at that point, the game was basically done. Philly, they're just, you know, they have so much talent at every single position. They've been building this true, you know, Harry Rosen's obviously known for building in whatever way. Yeah, trade, free agency, draft, whatever. I don't care. And Jalen Hurts, he's just, yeah, I think he's just, he showed that he's a, like in a 
great system like this. He is uh, just seems to fit the system really well. And Sirianni, you know, like as, as a guy who, when he initially came in, seemed to make a really bad impression. The first thing to come in now and have a team that's uh, nearly on the cusp of making a Super Bowl, you know, fair focus of, and he certainly fits the vibe of Philly very well. I find so. Yeah, just yeah. There's not much more to say except for Philly way better than the Giants. Uh, we'll see how good they actually are when there's obviously going to be bigger challenges ahead. Not an awful lot to add because. He- Ronan kind of nailed it there. The the Philly team, I mean, they're they're looking really good. The the way this team has evolved and the way their players have evolved, it, it just kind of seems like it's clicking in place. You got Hertz is suddenly now a great passer as well as just being the running threat that everyone thought, and he's way better quarterback than than anyone. You know, you asked last year what Jalen Hurts was going to be. He's way better than that. They've got two thousand yard wide receivers that you know they're able to balance and work together and get a system to work. They've got good aggressive defense. They've got a pass rush that is pretty much elite. It feels like the run game works regardless of who's the one who gets the carries. I mean, Gainwell the bit was the big man here, but kind of mixes around. So it's, it's all parts of it's working and clicking together for the Eagles um, at the right time. And it's certainly, I mean, they have to be considered a very strong contender to go all the way because of this, that the, every other team you can maybe point to, and we'll talk about this in the previous, maybe talk to one or two areas where they're not as strong as they could be, where the Eagles feel strong in every single category. And now it's just about, you know, executing, about, about going the whole way. In terms of the Giants, I mean, Basically, they found what their ceiling was. And to be fair to Brian Dable and his coaching crew, it's a much higher ceiling than anyone thought it was. That they, A divisional round is nothing to be ashamed of when you're the Giants and you haven't won a playoff game in 11 years. And it didn't look like they were going to be winning a playoff game at the start of the season. The first half was just they never really got going. I mean, obviously, the Eagles have the Giants number in terms of understanding how to play against them and to minimize them. They held Saquon in the run game and check early and they got out to that big lead. The Giants were better in the second half, but it was much too late by then. So the Giants, again, they kind of like the Jags. They should be happy with how their season has gone, considered as some as a foundation to build on in the future. Obviously, they've got complicated questions to deal with in the offseason. But if I'm a Giants fan, I'm, I'm very happy with my team is, even though I just got blown out in divisional because, you know, did not expect to be there in the first place. Um, and for the Eagles, I mean, the only way is up, but just kind of see how far this team can go next up and apologies in advance to Marcus Cincinnati at Buffalo 27 to 10 just in in all phases of the game superior Cincinnati team frees out Buffalo in very snowy conditions Burrow goes for 242 yards and two touchdowns they were able to move at ease on the ground as well with Mixon picking up 123 yards and a touchdown balanced efficient attack the Buffalo defense weren't able to do anything there's a degree to which you would have imagined going into this that the risk for Cincinnati was going to be that this Buffalo defensive line would be able to cause problems because their offensive line was down starters but a combination of scheming and it definitely looked to me like the weather was affecting the pass rush of Buffalo significantly more so the Buffalo defense had no turnovers they had one sack two tackles for a loss and allowed over 400 yards here so they weren't able to do anything and I think Cincinnati were adjusting fantastically well. The defensive backs were kind of lining an extra yard or two off because they weren't were afraid of slipping or not being able to get directional onto the, the wide receivers. So then they would just kind of throw them into that kind of 10, 12 yard hook zone. So then on the next drive, the DBs would play up on them and go, okay, now we're going to go into the deep zones and we're going to go to like our kind of 20 yard depth passes. It was, it was beautiful to just watch Cincinnati just kind of knew what the adjustments were going to happen on it and they were able to capitalize. Allen looked a little bit shook in this one, 291 yards a touchdown and an interception he kind of struggled as like nothing seemed to be working for them there was timing was off on passing routes they weren't able to get much going out of the wide receivers Diggs had a bit of a tantrum and also was it Diggs who who ended up like flying into the in the side of the wall and had to go get himself checked out yes he did yes. and then 
they just couldn't get anything going on the ground. So they had 13 attempts for 39 yards. So it was just not very good. My biggest concern coming out of this match is like Buffalo are a team that live in this area, trained in this area, have been working in this area for, you know, the last week. And they look like the team that was the least prepared and the least ready to play in a weather game, to play in the snow. Cincinnati didn't seem in any way phased by it in the slightest. And you start to get a little bit worried about the direction of this Buffalo team of like the offense hasn't looked quite as sharp this year. The accuracy is down. The interceptions are up. You wonder if maybe the loss of their offensive coordinator is a bigger loss to this Buffalo team than we were expecting. Obviously, the rise of Cincinnati there. Kansas City are still around. This dominance that Buffalo had and this kind of narrative that they were the, the guys to beat this season. The last couple of weeks, it's just kind of ebbed away. And Sean, I think in the in the preview last week, we can, you were saying that like, you know, the reason that you were picking Cincinnati is that you trusted Cincinnati to turn it around from the shitty game they'd had the week beforehand, whereas this Buffalo team, you were kind of expecting them to, to continue the slide. And this was a game where Cincinnati bounced back and looked dominant in every phase of this game, and Buffalo looked like they weren't at the races. This is, a, you know, the season of great hype for the Bills ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. It was it was very disappointing. And on both sides of the ball in multiple ways, this Buffalo Bills side has really failed to live up to the hype in, in many ways, shapes and form. I mean, in this game specifically, the defense was just appalling. I mean, it was, and it was, the, I mean, there was a weather factor in that the, the, the kind of the snowy ground made it difficult for defenders to readjust in zonal situations. So you basically, as a defender, had to go with what your first read was. And unfortunately, once Joe Burrow figured that out, he, he, he discovered he could basically send defenders the wrong way with his eyes and then throw in the opposite direction but the Bills never adjusted and never compensated they never figured that part of it out they never tried to find a different way to deal with this Bengals offense either that or they did try these things but nothing else seemed to work at at no point were they actually stopping the Bengals offense from doing anything the Bengals offense only scored 27 points because all the drives were ridiculously long because because the the way the, the you know the, in terms of running the ball and had they been in in a game where the Buffalo where the Bills offense was actually clicking this this Bengals team could have ended up scoring 40 points if they had more drives to work with and given that the defense was supposed to be the stronger of their two parts that the really elite part of their system that that was really worrying to see and it's not you can't just blame it on the fact that that Von Miller wasn't there 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 was huge problems both in terms of execution and in terms of scheming that they just did not have any answers for what this Bengals team was and on the on the offensive side I mean Allen's movement did sometime open up opportunities and they occasionally got things going but they only scored 10 points in a divisional round at home I mean, that's just, it's just, it's just terrible. And Stefan Diggs doesn't help himself and he starts to, you know, starts to pick on Josh Allen, the sideline for not, things not going well. I mean, there's being like a competitor and always wanting to win in every situation. And there's just, just, just being a sore loser and, and you're starting fights with your teammates. Is, and there's a line there and I think Diggs has gone too far beyond it and you'd wonder how long that Diggs-Allen relationship is going to maintain themselves if the Bills don't turn things around. So for the Bills, it's like, this is not the way you wanted your season to go and certainly not the way you wanted the season to end. And there's a lot of questions now that suddenly this team, which looked like it had a narrative that looked like it was going in certain directions now, it's almost back to square one in certain ways about how things need to be fixed. In terms of the Bengals, I'll hold my hands up. I did not think this team would be this good this season, but they've really shown that last year was not a flash in the pan. They've got 
amazing offensive play. They've got some very strong defensive work, and they've got a lot better coaching than people maybe are willing to give them credit for. This is the real deal, and this team is going to be very difficult to stop, both because they, they have the talent to play well, but they also have the mentality. They have the ability to win in big games. They're not they're not put off by, by big game scenarios. They're not put off by being in pressure situations. They have this amazing composure in tough situations. This was a tough game in tough weather. And it was just it felt like every single player on the Bengals side had ice in their veins. That They were just making every play that they needed to make they were executing perfectly to be fair by the end of it i'd say they did have ice in their veins <laughs> it's true i mean the, the offensive play they went fast to avoid the pass rush to you know to compensate for the fact they didn't have a weak o-line and as i said the bills didn't compensate for that it, it was just they, they had it their own way and they, they had a game plan and it worked perfectly on the defensive side i mean great game mike hilton T- uh, taylor Britt, the rookie who obviously has to step into awuzier's shoes on the cornerback has stepped up and and you know had a great game as well so it's really clicking for the Bengals, and, and again it feels like they are one of these guys like the philly eagles where it's all kind of coming together at the right time this team is on a you know an amazing win streak it all kind of feels like there's nothing they can't do and and with the casey injury situations it kind of feels that they're not much going to stop them at this point if, if they play at this level it's going to be tough for any, anyone to deal with them and with joe burrow you've always got a chance in every scenario that he's going to he's going to pull that ball down down the field and get those scores that you need so the Bengals, you know you got to love them this is i i don't even think the Bengals fans and, and, and ownership and coaches thought this team could be this good this quickly but this is a seriously elite team that is going to be at the top of the afc for a very long time come on sean you can't just mention all the defensive backs and now let's at least say eli apple was okay you know, he certainly had the Eli Apple social... made a good play. I, I, uh, I will grant him he made at least one good play. If we're going to talk about Eli Apple, we have to talk about what Eli Apple did after the game. Did he get in the socials, did he? Eli Apple has gone out on social media, started tweeting at the guys, enjoy Cancun, and taking and making fun of Damar Hamlin's hand signals and trying to go at the try to go at the bills over Damar. The guy is a piece of fucking shit. You know, the Bengals came out in their Siberian Tiger garb, all white, and uh, they certainly looked like the game. They were more adapted to the conditions here. The Bills just, yeah, I don't know. Like, the Bills, it kind of feels like the Bengals, like, have usurped the Bills. Like, right, like, going to narratives after last year or the last few years, it's like, oh, Allen and Mahomes is going to be doing a new Manning versus Brady. But it kind of feels like Joe Burrow's like, hey, guys, I'm here, and I'm actually really, really good. And Patrick Mahomes... Obviously, I think, you know, I would still probably consider it most Tom Brady-like in terms of dominant play, but, you know, Burrow is getting up there. He is a guy who is pulling this team, who owns this team. And yes, like I think the coaching staff has proven to not be the no-names we thought. Like, Zach Taylor has settled into being comfortable. He's kind of gone through the worst of it and come out the other end. Luan Arumo is the connoisseur's choice for Italian descent uh, defensive coordinators, of which there's a surprisingly large amount of them. Done a really good job, like, getting the absolute best out of a defensive set of players which uh you know don't exactly jump off the page like they do have some guys like dj reader but that's like a you know nose tackle it's not going to really uh, jump out at you and trey hendrickson's been good free agency but yeah like cam taylor Britt, for example definitely needs a particular shout out like we were really worried about this defensive backfield uh, at various points before and during the season and they've brought him up very quickly and made him into a guy who looks like a you know future possible pro bowl type caliber player so like i think cincinnati overall i think it all starts and like starts with burrow he has given that team 
team life. He has given that team identity, but everything else has been built around in a solid way. Like they kind of feel like the most, like it's kind of weird. Like the AFC is so quarterback heavy and explosion heavy and the NFC tends to these days give the more rounded teams. But I kind of feel like Cincinnati feel like the most NFC type team. Like they're just kind of solid all around, even though they have Burrow. But Burrow in this game showed that he doesn't need to be the star of the show. Um, He doesn't need to be everything. He was happy to pass, hand the ball off over to Mixon because the run game was being really effective and he was happy to let the defense just shut down a, a Buffalo offense which just couldn't get out of its own way and yeah I think Buffalo you know I, I know it was an incredibly emotional season you know obviously after the way last season ended after the Damar Hamlin situation happened Josh Allen's been asked to do so much for this team the offense has so little going on besides Josh Allen at the moment and you know questions to be asked about the front office in terms of putting supporting cast around in terms of the offensive line and some of the other weapons outside digs just felt like you had one team that had an identity and had, and had had invested in making themselves good overall, and which was able to work around its offensive line being injured. Uh, even during the game, Karras had an injury, was able to change, it felt like every single drive, their defensive scheme to confuse the Bills. It just felt like, you know, the Buffalo Bills are a really solid team, well coached and stuff like that, but they were outcoached and I played in this game and you have to be really concerned about that going into next season. Next and finally, Dallas at San Francisco, 19-12. to 12. This was a surprisingly tense battle. Uh, San Francisco just about managed it with their defense leading the way. Two tackles, a sack, three tackles for a loss and holding them to about 300 yards. Dak Prescott was just harassed in this game. 206 yards, a touchdown and two interceptions. Yeah, overall didn't look great. Some bad decision making from him. Like Also, just there was other bits. like we I mentioned up top, this is where the kicking problems were. So last week, Dallas missed a couple of kicks Maher missed a point after in this one like they just didn't really seem to know what they were doing they had no faith in their offense when they were punting on 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 fourth downs and I think even in the commentary afterwards Jerry Jones said like I think their defense had our number we just didn't really have faith in our offense it didn't help that also that they obviously lost Pollard to an injury in this as well but this is you know just just not great and then that that final play they had where they put Zeke under center to snap the ball that made no sense to anyone at all it was just bizarre San Francisco's offense was not great either in this game but obviously we've talked about the fact that this Dallas defense can play well in spots so they leaned on the run game Mitchell and Christian McCaffrey that 113 yards and a touchdown a concern coming into next week will be that Christian McCaffrey does look to have gotten himself injured in this game He's wearing a wrap on his leg for the second half and I think he only in the final quarter I think he only got one touch of the ball which is not great Kittle at 95 yards and kind of the one that you'll see in the highlight reels is a giant circus catch that he made from what was and we've criticized this a couple of times on this a fairly shit throw from Purdy Purdy has had some mistakes that have been covered up for by good wide receivers and good weapons didn't, didn't make any huge mistakes didn't throw any interceptions in this one but like didn't do a huge amount to win it either that would kind of help set them up for their only touchdown of the game but realistically they leaned on their defense and if this wasn't a team where Dak Prescott was essentially shiting himself and making mistakes this was Dallas's game to win given what a juggernaut this San Francisco team looks like coming into this this is a down game this is the equivalent of you know the Bills and the Bengals a week previously both winning but winning in very unconvincing fashion like, I think that's the thing. Like it's such a weird game, right? Like Dallas, they only lose by a touchdown. They play good defense. You know, they have some solid drives. Like they got a touchdown early on. Just when you have like some faith in them, they start like 
killing themselves. Like they have two interceptions in the first half. The second half, it just felt like they couldn't get in going. I think once they lost Pollard, they just lost the kind of I think the sent the Jenga piece of the offense at that point. Like especially because Dak was having one of his more difficult days, and he's had a pretty tough end of the season. He had like a Philip last week, which kind of seemed like maybe Dak's back, but you know it did certainly didn't carry over in this game. But like when they were forced to lean on Ezekiel Elliott, and you can't go to C.D. Lamb every single throw despite having over 100 yards need other things and they just didn't have other things on the offense and you're talking about a defense which has the talent like excellent veteran talent like Fred Warner and Nick Bosa but also has guys coming through who seem to be really uh, like stepping up like Hufanga and you know they're really deep at the defensive line in general so it's just a situation where like Dallas just kind of seen what they are which is like a good fun upside team but they just don't build championship teams. They don't build teams that have talent infused at each time. They're a top-heavy organization. They always have been. And when the slightest kind of, you know, when the wrong wind comes, the whole thing falls apart. But the extra Dallas on top is that not only do they lose just because they're being like slightly outplayed by just a more talented overall team, they just do things that make them look worse than they actually even are. Like this was not a embarrassing game for them in terms of the score, in terms of the how they held the 49ers offense in check, but it see like everyone remembers it as an embarrassment because you know they couldn't run the ball that's fair enough but like they were punting the ball in protect in like really safe situations so they they seem pretty conservative but then you add in Maher has another point after a touchdown miss like just to add into it and then just you know the final thing what everyone's going to remember is that final play where Ezekiel Elliott is like the the own like it's the center and he's flipping it back and then Drak Prescott throws it to a guy who gets immediately smacked right in the mouth effectively and you know probably would have been better off dropping the ball to be perfectly frank uh well he actually literally would have been and it's just like it wasn't a bad game from the cowboys but it ends in farce and that just feels like who the cowboys are they're such a huge disproportionate force within the nfl in terms of media and profile and attention and it just seems all the times when even when they're good like they have been the last couple of years they managed to look bad and be stupid basically feels like kind of the problem like McCarthy doesn't feel like a guy who can hold this clown show together with the Jerry Jones organization and you know having a top heavy or top heavy roster and stuff like that and and so like inevitably there'll be speculation about him over the next few weeks we'll see how that works out but there's something just you know it's the Cowboys like it's fucking hard to, to describe it except for that's what the Dallas Cowboys are it's been what they've been since for the last 20 years ever since they won that last Super Bowl just you know they fuck up different ways every year and this is one of the ones where they fuck up on a really big stage and the 49ers just did they didn't like didn't feel like the 49ers won this game they just played solid enough ball and just waited for the Cowboys to lose this game like they ran the ball solidly you know it's not that amazing like it's only 100 uh, over just over 100 yards in the running back you know Kittle made a couple of really key plays including you said that circus catch but a couple of nice catches as well and Purdy just unlike the Cowboys just avoided making dumb mistakes you know they just they're a solid team and the defense did most of the work the defense is obviously a great unit but you know obviously the next couple of like next couple of games or maximum maximum games they're going to be playing teams that are equally complete and don't have Brock Purdy they're going to have Jalen Hurts they're going to have Joe Burrow they're going to have Patrick Mahomes uh, like people like that and you'll wonder you do have a little bit of concern that when they reach that tippy top of the thing that having Purdy who is solid and has shown good things that maybe finally he might not exposed but might be shown to be you know he's not at that level and when you get to the top level you have complete teams that have quarterbacks like that maybe the 49ers will be shown up to be a little short but not this week Dallas went full Dallas at just the moments designed to maximize their pain and they're not a bad team but you know they're the Cowboys Cowboys gonna Cowboy 
I mean, I think I think if we rag on the Chargers for constantly being the Chargers and, you know, the way we used to rag on the Bengals for being the Bengals. I mean, this is the Cowboys' identity. This is screwing up in the divisional round is what the Cowboys have been doing for, it's not 20 years, it's almost 30 years since they, they won a Super Bowl now. And it just kind of feels like the team that they are, you know. Dak joins Tony Romo in being 0-3 in the divisional round, being 2-4 and in playoffs overall. It just doesn't feel like this team is actually evolving or learning from its mistakes and you can point to the ownership and Jerry Jones and the way he meddles and the, the hype and the media all around the Cowboys. But it just doesn't seem like this organization ever gets down to brass tacks, starts to fix the problems that they have. I mean, in this game, I mean, Dak's mistakes were, were pretty costly. The, the off, you know, Both interceptions were really ugly in terms of reading the play and, and not making a stupid throw. He seems to be really terrible under any kind of pressure which is going to be a problem if you want to compete at the NFL at the top level. And it kind of feels like he's being found out now that whatever talent he had to get him to this level, it's starting to feel like he just doesn't have what it takes to step up to that next step. Offense otherwise wasn't really going anywhere. Pollard's injury hurt them in terms of the options that they had. Obviously, they were scared of kicking field goals because the field goal kicker was, you know, having a bad moment. When you're cheering your kicker making a 25-yard field goal as if he's made a 55-yard field goal, you're in a bad spot. I mean, the defense was, was keeping them in this game. They were shutting down Debo. They'd shut down CMC. Mostly the, the Niners were going nowhere but the Cowboys just couldn't score any points. And then the last drive is just, it's an absolute shit show. I mean, you can talk about the last play and how farcical it was, but also you have Dal- Dalton Schultz single-handedly, you know, screwing up their chances of getting down the field by, you know, not, not tapping the toes for one of his catches at the sideline for exiting the sideline backwards instead of forwards and therefore keeping the, the clock running. Like, these are stupid things that a good team doesn't do. A good team drills it into his players to not make stupid mistakes in those kind of spots, but the Cowboys don't. And this is why their players constantly do stupid things, like Dak in last season in the playoffs, doing that, you know, draw up the middle and, and then not having time to spike the ball. That's a thing that if your team is well-drilled and well-trained enough, they, your players don't make those kinds of mistakes. And Dalton Schultz's mistakes in this one were another example of that. So the Cowboys are just who they are until they fundamentally reevaluate what kind of organization they are. They're going to keep making these mistakes. In terms of the Niners, I mean, I agree with what an awful lot of what Ronan has said. It's the, you know, they've, they've got great pieces on both sides of the ball. It wasn't the most fantastic offensive game I've ever seen. Quite conservative on the offensive play calling. Maybe that just was a don't make mistakes that the Cowboys beat themselves kind of situation. Lots of defensive pressure, obviously, to, to deal with, with Dak. I mean, the, the big question mark over the Niners here is the the Brock Purdy situation the Purdy train keeps rolling on for the moment he's still not the finished article and it's very clear he's not the finished article but he's a lot better than he ought to be and he's certainly for a seventh round rookie playing in the divisional round he's got incredible composure and when you want to talk about you know who the best quarterbacks are you think about Joe Burrow as being a standard in terms of composure under pressure Purdy's he's definitely he's got something really you know strange about him most human beings could not be that calm in those kind of high pressure situations so that's a good sign. He has a kind of a weird mix of very raw rookiness. Sometimes he'll do a thing he shouldn't be doing, like throwing across the field or, you know, making a throw he shouldn't be making. And then he may, he'll also make some great plays. So he's definitely a work in progress. And it's maybe a little bit soon for him to be getting into a conference championship scenario against a really good defense. Yeah, if he can keep doing it, you know, keep doing it. I mean, all the various quarterback scenario problems that the Niners are going to face are offseason problems at the moment. Just keep the train rolling apparently there's a rumor garoppolo might be back in time for the, the for the super bowl but you know if party's getting done keep him on the field i i like the niners 
this maybe showed them up a little bit in terms of their deficiencies, but you know they're they're really talented side on both sides of the ball. Just to keep the, the Tom Brady thing, he ha- like Purdy has to get injured in the championship round. Garoppolo comes in for a game, and then <laughs> he's benched for the Super Bowl, and then Purdy becomes Tom Brady. So it's mm. not quite lining up, I don't think. Do we think McCarthy's done enough to avoid getting fired? I don't think he deserves to be fired, but... That's not the question. Uh, yeah, there, there's two different questions here. Dessert and what Jerry Jones will do. I, I, I don't think he deserves to get fired. I think we're all relatively... like We don't love him, but I think he's done well with this team this year. He's right. done a lot better than other coaches have done with the Cowboys. I mean, mm. yeah, I wouldn't, but Jerry Jones probably will. Like he's got a problem that a there's a really sexy name that's not has not fully committed to a team yet. Sean Payton available on the trade market that will appeal. He's got two guys, uh, you know, an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator who are coaches of the future, or well, ones I suppose a coach of the past as well. It's a tough place for McCarty. It always has been, but I suppose like when the chips are down and they're in the toughest situation. Like McCarthy has not stepped up, but you know he has coached them to. You know it's a bit like the Lafleur thing, like Green Bay. Yes, you you know you get really good results and you do really well, but this is where it matters. And if he can't show that he can win in the playoffs when it matters, then eventually he's going to get fired. I don't know if it'll be this year, but it's it's common. And obviously we'll talk about a few of those bits more in depth as we kind of move in towards the off season. But for now, it's the big weekend, boys. It's championship. Let's go and have a look at those games. So, first up, the NFC Championship game. San Francisco are travelling to the Philadelphia Eagles. Me and Ronan have gone for the Eagles and Sean has gone for San Francisco in this one. Look, I'll I'll just kick off. We'll kind of go into a bit more loose form, hopping into bits and pieces here. But I said it in, we're doing doing the reviews there. This Philadelphia team looks like it's really in form at the moment. Their defense was keying off on people, although it has helped that they had such a lead and they kind of knew they were going to be in pass first situations. But throughout the year, they've looked very good. Their offense came out firing on all cylinders. The run game in particular was doing well. And it's a run game that has multiple facets to it, both with the backs and with Jalen Hurts, who seems to be back from the injury in perfect form. They have two good receivers sitting on the outside. They've got production out of their tight end as well. This is an offense that I could totally see starting to roll. And I can also see that this is going to be a tough environment to go into. Philly's going to be cold. It's going to be loud. They're probably going to be flinging batteries at people because that is what they are want to do. San Francisco have an excellent defense, but this is a multifaceted run pass option style can, can can attack you on the ground, can attack you hidden and can attack you on the outside. So it's going to be a tough ask for San Francisco to be able to put up the level of defensive production that we've seen because when they came up against more diverse offenses they 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 did have issues with them. The Chiefs put points on them, one or two other teams put up decent points on them. So they can't rely solely on their defense to try and win them this game. Their offense is going to need to step up. And that's an offense that has a lot of playmakers, but also has, like we said, an inexperienced seventh round rookie under center who has made mistakes. This is a ferocious defensive line that can cause issues for him, get into the backfield and disrupt. They have big plays there. They have some good defensive backs in there. Maybe the linebackers are a little bit weaker, but then when you look at, when you look at San Francisco, you know, there's a knock on Christian McCaffrey coming in. So will he be 100% because he has been a huge part of their game so far? They've also got injuries to Elijah Mitchell, but I think he's more likely to, to be coming back closer to full health. These are concerns for me, whereas the Eagles are relatively healthy. AJ Brown has a small knock, and I think Avante Maddox has as well, but both of them are expected to play. So, like, I love the story of the 49ers. I like how they play. I love their defense, and I really like the, the kind of the production they've gotten and the kind of Cinderella story that's happening. But to me, this Philadelphia team feels like a buzzsaw. And 
while you know I'm not expecting to put up a, a New York Giants style opposition to them, I I could see this if it starts to become one way traffic becoming one way traffic with Purdy making mistakes and throwing interceptions and it just kind of collapsing around their ears. Yeah, I, I feel I should I should justify the the Niners pick here. Obviously, since I've, I've been talking up in this very podcast that we're recording right now, I've been talking up the Eagles and talking down the Niners a little bit. <laughs> I, I just feel it. I just feel the Niners. It's it's their year. I feel it's. I, I think the moment that they signed CMC in my head, it was like, yeah, they're going to win it all. They have really good pieces on both sides of the ball. They've got really good coaching and it, they've got the momentum and it's all going well for them. The Purdy thing is is the big question mark here. Can this man step up in a scenario that is well beyond anything he's ever faced before? And we will, it, it won't be enough just about kind of protecting him in terms of the plays that you, you run to try and you know minimize the mistakes he makes. He's going to actually have to start making plays and, and is he going to be capable of that? I mean, I admit that's a question mark and I don't know if I have that and the Philly pass rush is certainly going to be targeting that but if he can get those passes out to cmc and debo and to kittle i think that they can make some hay behind the first line you know if they if they can make get past the pass rush yeah that's, they can make that, some hay in, in, that, in, that, in that midsection get you know those yards after the carry and i think that's a kind of a big part of whatever plan um, is going also the eagles i mean maybe we need to think that they beat the giants because they always beat the giants and they look really good because they always look good against the giants and and have they really been tested at the elite level that the, the Niners are at could possibly be a question mark as well. So, I mean, I think ration, rationally a betting man would probably go the, the on paper, the Eagles look like a better team, but I just feel the Niners. I feel that this season is, is theirs. And, and I think, it, it, you know, God himself is not going to stop this team from winning a Super Bowl. Yeah. And that God is named Nick Sirianni. <laughs> He was truly, I think, embodied. He's not, even, he's not from Philadelphia. He's from, from, from New York. But uh, not the city, but the state. But, you know, he has truly kind of imbibed the Philly culture and become just a coach who feels completely appropriate for that. He's a bit brash. He's maybe a bit sweary. He's always talking up his guys. He's, you know, defends them to a hilt. You know, he compares Hurts to, to Wolverine or Michael Jordan or whatever. Like, the guy is irrepressible. And I think that just suits this Philly team down to the ground, even more than Pedersen, who obviously won a Super Bowl with them. But even more than Pedersen, I think he, he's fully embraced that kind of slightly grimy, you know, but fun, like, attitude that you expect from Philly. And I think the big thing that I like just a little bit more than in San Francisco. And just to say that both these teams are top to bottom, two of the, the best, like are probably the two best constructed rosters in the league at the moment. Like you're talking about, not ju- like just in terms of talent. What I like about Philly is I think they just have a little bit more trust in their players, a little bit more autonomy. Like Shanahan's always struck me as a little bit of a control freak. That's why he likes having a quarterback like Jimmy G or even a quarterback like Brock Purdy, like a joystick quarterback, someone who implements his game plan. And he's obviously one of the greatest offensive minds of his generation. And obviously comes from a guy, his father was obviously also a great offensive innovator. So like, that's fair enough. But that also means that oh, so much pressure is on him that when things break down, when you got to make a play, like is Brock Purdy going to be able to do that? Like when the easy yards after the catch aren't available, 
available for CMC, for Debo and Kittle. And like, look, like, I think they can probably get some yards after the catch because, you know, linebacker is probably the weakest position for the Eagles. So I wouldn't say it's a weakness, but it's just their weakest position compared to what's a really deep defensive line and what's a really veteran, uh, savvy defensive backfield. Just They're not going to have that all the time, right? Once you get to this level, those easy opportunities, those windows start getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then unlike like the Dallas Cowboys, they're not going to just hit themselves in the face and win for you. Uh, but when you compare that to like a team like the Eagles, like Sirianni's been happy to let Hurts run this system. Like I think Hurts has a complete control uh, of this offense. He's not a, just a game manager. He's a guy who knows when to run. He knows when to pass. He, he's able to take advantage of the great scheming and the amazing blocking he gets, particularly uh, from Kelsey, the center. Like That makes a lot of plays itself. But yeah, I think what you've seen is a guy who's how, always had a reputation for A, being a good guy. He seems like a great guy. Like, I think all of his uh, people who work for him are all women and he, everyone loves him. But just in terms of like his development, he's always been known, even when it was college, where he went through a bunch of different teams, hardworking, cared about the game you know 100 dedication to his craft and what you've seen this year is a guy who was a solid passer with obviously a dynamic uh, running opportunity to a guy who seems to be taking that next level i think almost similar to the year that we saw josh allen take that leap i think we're already seeing jalen hurts do something similar where he's just at such a higher level right now and of course when you give him weapons like Devonte smith and aj brown Obviously, that's going to create more big play opportunities. But the big thing is that, you know, he's been happy and able and has been efficient and taking advantage of the opportunities he have. Like, you can't, like, if they leave A.J. Brown one-on-one in this game, he will probably score a touchdown. He has done that all year on those deep throws. And I think you just see a guy who, you know, he doesn't need to be told in his ear what to do. He knows what to do. And I think that's just kind of the vibe I get from this Philly team is that this is in terms of autonomy, that they will be able to react and play to what's on the field. They will get good coaching. They'll get good instruction. But I think if they see something, if they see a tell, they will figure it out a little bit faster than the 49ers, on, at least in terms of the 49ers offense. But like, look, the 49ers are stacked. Their defensive line is ridiculous. They're, they have the best linebacker core in the league. So this is going to be one of the biggest tests that Jalen Hurts is going to face this season. So he'll have to pull out and, and prove me right um, to actually turn that into a significant number of points. And of course, you know, he had an easy ride against the Giants, but if he has to pass more, if he gets a few more hits, which you would expect, you know, we'll see if that shoulder is like, as fully healed as it looked like last week. You know, I think the Philly team, there's, I think they have a vibe that I think they're just more complete, whereas the Shanahan thing, like it's just a lot to expect for him to do it all alone. Like McVay has obviously won a Super Bowl that way, but it's tough. It's tough sledding and doing that way. Do we think this is going to be a close game or do we think if one side breaks, it's going to be all one-way traffic? Like there's a world where Purdy like implodes because obviously we, we don't know what's going to happen if he gets yeah. into a tough situation and they're like two touchdowns down. But I, I I don't I wouldn't expect it. I think, you know, the 49ers have shown enough to, to not need that and I can't really see it being a super high scoring game given the quality of these two defenses. I, I would agree. I think the defenses would probably keep the scores down. I mean the Philly kind of the momentum train thing against the Giants where they just scored back to back to back to back to back is not gonna happen here. I don't think the Niners are gonna let them. So as I said, there is a pretty question mark, but yeah, I would expect a low scoring game and honestly the lower the scoring of the game, the more likely the Niners are to win. Yeah, I'm going to go for a two-score differential here with Philly 33, San Francisco somewhere in the early 20s, I think. But yeah, no, it, it, like I said, I can see I can see the case for both, but yeah, I just feel that there's momentum and San Francisco having to travel across the across the country to an angry, angry Philadelphia. Next up, we have the AFC Championship game. Cincinnati are taking on Kansas City, traveling over to Arrowhead. Following their defeat of the Bills, that means that there's no neutral site game. It's the, going to be held 
at home for the Chiefs. Obviously, the big headline question for the Chiefs coming into this is what is Mahomes going to look like coming into the game? He's been posting up online about him rehabbing the foot. He's guaranteed that he's going to be playing on Sunday. And to be fair, given what we saw from him immediately after the injury, I believe that he will lie, cheat and steal his way onto the field to make sure he's on that field. He does not seem like a man who wanted to to come off at any point, even for an x-ray. The interesting thing is, obviously, this is a Cincinnati team that has beaten the Chiefs already this season in Arrowhead. They are coming off an incredible game against the Bills where they look dominant in all phases of the game. And Mahomes has the ankle injury. So this is the first time. So the, 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 the Vegas books and everything have Kansas City as the underdogs in this game. This is the first time that Patrick Mahomes in his career has been an underdog at home. Obviously, the first time that they're underdogs in the playoffs with him under center. So this is going to be an interesting one. The Cincinnati O-line is possibly the the route of attack that might be able to take in here. The Chiefs' defense, particularly the defensive line and pass rushing backs, have been doing pretty well of late. The issue is that this is a Cincinnati team that is very able to immediately swap to a short pass game and exploit what might be some poor tackling coming from some of the Chiefs' linebacker core. So the question is, can... Spagnola get to Burrow can they knock him off his centre can they get him off kilter because that's going to be key to being able to get this thing working particularly with the amount of rookies that the Chiefs will be using in the defensive backfield as well on the offensive side of the ball I think Fitz you hit it up pretty well earlier and I'll kind of leave it to you to chat about a bit more this is a Chiefs team that has an incredibly good run blocking line and has great success coming out of Pacheco and a nice mixture of stable of running backs in there that they could be able to lean on be able to use a lot more in this and that might help as well with bringing in some of the defenses and opening up stuff over the top and buying Mahomes a little bit more time in the play action game which I think would be important because this is the thing Cincinnati have a bit of a hoodoo over the Chiefs they have won three straight games in a row this is not the week that you want to have Mahomes injured coming into it but we have seen that Andy Reid, I think even with us giving more credit to, to, to Zach and all of the all of the team over there in Cincinnati, the Chiefs have an advantage at coach, albeit that he does seem legitimately allergic to running the football, which might be what he needs to do in here. They have a disadvantage at wide receiver. I think they probably have an advantage at line. And I, I would say a push at, at running back at the moment. The benefit that Cincinnati are going to have on that side is that the Chiefs' run defense has not been good for the last while. So I would expect if they want to, they can have mix and go for 150 yards here. Overall, the Chiefs' defense has stepped up more. There is exploitable parts in the secondary. So the question is, can Spags, who mostly focuses on pressure, bring in some of the some of the things that we've seen other teams do against this Bengals team to try and bracket Chase, to try and take away some of the options that they have and try and get Burrow off-center. I'm going for the Chiefs in this one because, to be honest, I kind of have to. I can 100% see, like, the head says that Cincinnati are the team that should be able to do this, but Cincinnati are a team who have based their entire run on the fact that they are the underdogs and no one believes in them and all this kind of crap. NFL Dan Hanzus has just moved them to number one in the power rankings. The Vegas books are favoring them in this one. I think they've lost their status as an underdog, and I think that might be the difference in this game. I always want to ask you a question. Like, what, what, what is the Zach attack? The Zach attack? It, like, it doesn't really matter what the answer is, because what happened is that you had the pause and you're going... I don't know. Yeah. That's perhaps his greatest strength is how anonymous he is. Because he's not an offensive genius like Andy Reid. Like Andy Reid's one of the greatest play callers in NFL history, playing with one of the greatest uh, quarterbacks in NFL history. But Zach Taylor, I don't know, he worked for Sean McVay for a while and he seems to have hired well, despite some like the names not being particularly good. Like he, he obviously 
wasn't under pressure to hire people with big names because he hired guys that no one had heard of, but who have turned out to be pretty good. Lou Anaromo turned out to be pretty good. The people who are helping on offense, obviously pretty good. And obviously he got Joe Burrow, who is, I think, up there with the potentially being the greatest quarterbacks up with, with Mahomes. Uh, a little bit more to prove Mahomes. Mahomes obviously done so much in his early years. But, you know, the point about the Zach attack is that there is no Zach attack. Zach just does what is best for the team. Zach, you know, last time against in the, in the week game last week, they ran the ball. And while they haven't ran the ball too well this year, they have, you know, they have leaned on it when it worked. And if it doesn't work, they move to Joe Burrow. Okay, Joe Burrow, you need to do more. And if the deep ball pass doesn't work, which was basically the basis of their offense last year, they move to a quick passing attack to get yards after the catch with guys like Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. And I think that's the, it's almost the secret is that Zach Taylor is, not a genius it's like it's an ode to mediocrity almost that he realizes who he is and he's comfortable with that and he leans on the fact that he's been incredible like he's been fortunate enough to be blessed to be have people who are more talented around him he's almost like the ultimate ceo coach and so that's for me the big question here is that you know cincinnati to me have shown a great ability to adapt to their environment to do what is strongest for the team you saw that in the asc championship last year where the first half it looked like kansas city were just gonna blow out this cincinnati team that had fluked their way into afc championship then in the second half they pull out an incredibly unusual scheme where they basically only rush three and they just bamboozled mahomes and despite having one of the greatest offensive play callers one of the greatest quarterbacks they couldn't think figure it out because they wouldn't adapt and do the obvious thing which is run the damn ball so I think the big question for Kansas City is obviously yes is Patrick Mahomes healthy or not but the big question is are Kansas City is Andy Reid specifically willing to adapt and play what's put in front of him here because I think if they don't come out here and like at least try aggressively running the ball down the trout of the Cincinnati defense to force them into situations where they have to stack the line and create those quick throws which have been the bread and butter of this Kansas City offense to give the opportunities for yards after the catch like guys like Kadarius Tony, then I could very much see them losing this game. And the biggest problem is that even in that game, uh, even even in that game against Kansas City, he was getting chat like Henny to pass the ball a lot more than I expect, considering how well Pacheco was running. So for me, this is just kind of a litmus test. Like Andy Reid, genius. No, no doubt about that. But there's a reason, there's almost a reason why he didn't win that Super Bowl in Philly, right? Like he's just, he's... He, he has his ways, he has his foibles, his clock management's a little bit off, and he's not quite willing to give up the things that he loves about football. The man obviously loves football as much as he loves brisket, I presume. And he's, you know, he just needs to show a willingness Cheeseburgers, here. baby, cheeseburgers. Yeah, cheeseburgers, sorry. I apologize to all the Chiefs fans out there. But, like, he needs to be adaptable here and show it is because they have enough weapons here. The defense, like, look, fair play to the offensive line, but it's not a strength for Cincinnati. It hasn't been all year. And obviously Spags is a guy who will not be scared to go all in and seeing if he can exploit those gaps but I just do think like if if Kansas City win this game it'll be by not playing like Kansas City something sort of showing that they have all of these they have all of this talent that can do all of these things and they just wouldn't even show it and Cincinnati to me have just shown that greater ability to maximize what they have to play to what's in front of them and to adapt to what's on the field and that's why I favored them this game because I think both these teams in terms of talent from top to bottom are I'd say about similar and when Mahomes hobbled I think that you know that gives a little even more edge to Cincinnati but even if Mahomes was fully healthy I think I might pick Cincinnati anyway because I just Zach Taylor like I don't know it's genius by subtraction I don't know 
the shift from last year, Zach Taylor is an idiot to now suddenly Zach Taylor is a genius might be going a step too far. I mean, I no, know he's like, he, get, he gets out of the he gets out of the way of his team, which is often a, a good thing to do. But I wouldn't put the word genius close to him yet. But uh, I, I agree. He he allows his team to be his team, which is a good thing. I, I think in this game, there, there are kind of two variables that are going to decide this game. The first one is the state of Mahomes injury. And as a co- as a consequence of that, how this the Chiefs play offensively, because we saw in the divisional round that they went quite conservative when, you know, Mahomes' dynamism was taken away. And, you know, you can say that the road game was as effective. I, I'd argue that they went from beating the Jags quite comfortably to, to being par with them, which is not a situation. It, it takes away the edge that they really have. Like Mahomes and his his magic is the, the Chiefs' edge, and you take that away. They're still a pretty good offense, but they're not, they're not an elite offense. So I think how Mahomes' injury affects how the Chiefs play offensively, and as a result, how aggressively versus conservative they play is going to be is going to be a big factor on that side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, I think it's the the Spags versus Burrow, or you could say the Spags versus Zach Taylor mind game of what kind of schemes is is, is Spags going to throw at Burrow, and how can Burrow adapt to that? Because we've seen what Burrow's amazing ability to just read the field and know what to do and know how to manipulate defenses. I mean, the divisional round against the Bills there, where he was he was throwing defenders off because he realized that with his eyes, because he realized they couldn't they couldn't compensate for the for the field conditions when running zone i mean that's the kind of that's kind of that's top level stuff and and when you have a quarterback who can do the kind of stuff and you have a coach who's willing to you know slot in slot the system into accommodating the quarterback to do that kind of stuff i mean that's top level that that is that is contender for for best of all time if he keeps that up for an entire career he's going to end up winning four or five super bowls he's going to be in montana territory if not uh, in brady territory so spags sometimes i mean with spagnola it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't i feel he's a bit of hit and miss yeah. as a defensive coach when he gets it right his t- his defense is really good but he's capable of getting it very wrong and it's can he keep up with with what Burrow's going to be doing and can Burrow keep up with Spag's going to throw them I, and the reason I give Cincinnati the edge is because I feel on, on the Mahomes question I feel Mahomes' injury is going to hamper what, what Kansas City can do offensively whereas I think Burrow at his current play level is going to be able to could take down whatever's thrown at them, and as a result, they're going to score enough points. The, I mean, the questions of things like the Cincinnati offensive line, we've seen that they can compensate for that offensive line by playing faster, by making quicker decisions. We've seen Burrow is capable of that. I think it will ultimately boil down to which of these quarterbacks has the better game. And in the current scenario, given health and given current, uh, uh, you know, form and momentum i think you got to give the edge to burrow and therefore you got to give the edge to cincinnati in this game oh yeah no this is the thing like head says that 100 percent. heart's like no fuck it chief's <laughs> chief's gonna do it the else you know Mahomes taking it personally but yeah it, it, it's that thing i think if it wasn't for the injury i would be 100 percent chiefs damn good like look I'm, I'm airing on them because i want to back him but i can completely see cincinnati being able to if if they get what they want out of the Chiefs' defense and they're kind of able to start getting their yardage, the question is, can the Chiefs keep up with them? Because I think Cincinnati's defense is vulnerable. Yeah, the problem is, uh, is, is, is a hobbled Patrick Mahomes going to be able to win a boat race if that's what it takes? And yeah, I don't know if he, uh, don't know if he can, but I'm going to believe he can because that makes me happy inside. Let me let me let me live in hope for at least another three or four days. But yeah, I think that'll that'll wrap us up for that. Any any crack with yourselves? Obviously, we've got our weekend plans lined up. Anything for the next few days in advance? Meeting a meeting a friend tomorrow uh, for some drinks and not going too crazy. And other than that, it's minding the dog. And now that the dog is recovered from her. Uh, 
her surgery and she's she's successfully neutered she's got her energy back to, to normal levels so it's trying to keep up with that which is fun but yeah no looking forward to the weekend at the, at the weekend the stag and then some championship football on the sunday is going to be fun a fun yeah. weekend all around no no should be should be excellent about yourself ronan yeah i'm just looking forward to the, the stag obviously and then uh, watching championship weekend in presumably a human puddle <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm the same. I'm expecting puddle form. Yeah, it should be uh, should be good. I've got the Monday off work, so I should be able to to sit up and watch him. So it should be uh, should be enjoyable. Do I, I do wish the Chiefs were on the earlier game though? <laughs> oh, well, I've got to wrap up one or two bits and work finished up and have to pick up a few bits and then head out the road. You know, uh, the, the, these costumes and props don't pick up themselves. <laughs> and the stripper, don't forget the stripper. I'm not picking her up in Dublin. Jesus yeah, Christ. He, he bought a stripper I outfit, do, obviously. I do not want some, some Connemara stripper. I want quality Dublin stripper, if we're going to be getting a stripper. He's got a stripper okay. outfit, so it's really just for pulling straws. <laughs> on, 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 on the plus side there, I think we've got the stinger for the opening of the, <laughs> the, opening of the episodes. <laughs> no provincial strippers. <laughs> on that bombshell I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll finish up so uh, it's bye from myself bye from Ronan bye bye from Sean bye it's been all for quarters thanks for listening and we'll chat to you next week